Well, it is great to worship together. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet, if you're kind of new, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and it's a a privilege to have you here. We worship every week to kind of recenter ourselves, anchor ourselves to the resurrecting King who is doing a work in us, and whether we're far from God or whether we've been walking with him for a while. And so we started this series last week, Brian taught on forgiveness, looking at this idea of the final words of Jesus, some of the words that he spoke from the cross, and we're going to look at that next week and kind of leading into Easter. So we've been centering ourselves, kind of moving toward Easter, and I hope you're excited to celebrate Easter. We have a Good Friday service also on Good Friday at 7 o'clock here. I want to invite you to that, just a weekend of reflection and celebration of everything that Jesus has done. And tonight we're going to kind of look a little bit deeper at one of those phrases, and it kind of gets at this idea. So last week was on forgiveness, right? And forgiveness is a tough deal. In fact, I was talking to someone afterwards who said that's, it's really challenging, and it is. But we, we follow a Savior who models forgiveness, and even from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and think about the fortitude it takes in that moment to say that. That forgiveness was just a constant flow and is a constant flow of Jesus. And it's meant to mark us as followers of Jesus. It's meant to be something that we do, we don't just talk about. And so it is tough and it is challenging. And tonight I want to get at this idea of an emotion that Jesus experienced, this reality of what he went through on the cross that kind of touches toward this ache of abandonment. And we've all experienced an ache of abandonment uh, in some degree or another. So uh, maybe you were kind of hanging out, you had set up an appointment to meet with a friend. Anyone ever had this happen? You show up, you meet at the appointment, right? And you're there and like time keeps ticking by and your friend never shows. And you're just like, I'll take another ice water, please. And you're just kind of sitting there at the table. Anyone ever happen? Like, if it's your friend that's right next to you, don't raise your hand because that's awkward. But, like, maybe you've had that sense or maybe you've been at a restaurant having a really good time with friends and, like, your waiter or waitress has not noticed that your glass is, like, empty and they've been gone for a while on break and then, like, that break has to be over and you've just realized they've probably been abducted by aliens at some point and you don't know because they've never come back. And so you felt this sense of abandonment or loneliness. Maybe you showed up for the carpool to the concert and realized the carpool already left. Ooh. Maybe uh, you've walked up to a group of people that were talking, some of your friends were there and you got there and they all dispersed. Awkward. You ever been there? Maybe it's this idea of saying that you've been on the phone and the person says, hey, hold just a second. and they never come back, right? And then you finally just click and go, I'll text you, I guess. Uh, maybe you're ready to cheer and your team exits in the first round. I don't, I don't know if, <sighs> is it too soon? Is it too soon? Okay, just a sense of abandonment. Uh, listen, I know for some of you, you've tasted that on a whole nother level than for some of us. And maybe a sense of abandonment was you really did have someone walk out on you. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it was a sibling that says we're done. And they've just kind of built this wall. Maybe for some of you, it was a loss that came way too early. And you're around the corner at home hoping to see them and realize that you're just not. And there's this sense of loss and loneliness and abandonment. And that marks you. 
And see, we understand this from our side. We understand it from our point of view because we experience it. But tonight, I want to kind of journey with us a little bit into this encounter that Jesus had. Because we don't often think of it from his point of view and what he endured as he went to the cross for you and for me. And the journey that he's on, this sense of abandonment and loneliness is an ache like no other, isn't it? It's just this hollowness that you can't even really put your mind around. But I want you to imagine with me hanging around Jesus in the good times. So there was this day, you can read about it in John chapter 6, right? Uh, it's John chapter 6. I encourage you to read it this week. It's this interesting experience that unfolds, this miracle that takes place. Jesus has this crowd of people around. In fact, they number the crowd at 5,000 men, not including the women and children, who all need food. They're hanging out listening to Jesus teach, and they find the little kid with the Lunchable, right, uh, who comes and he has these little couple loaves and a couple of fish, and he multiplies this and feeds 5,000 plus people and people hang out that night and Jesus gets in a boat and this is incredible experience that everyone has lived through and he goes to the other side of the lake and in the morning people wake up and go, hey, it's breakfast, where's Jesus? And so they walk around the outside of the lake and they discover him there and people are showing up saying, hey, we want another miracle. Imagine hearing that all the time as Jesus Give me another, give me another, give me another. And so in this moment, Jesus begins to teach what scholars have called the hardest sermon he ever preached. The most challenging, most difficult sermon he ever preached is in John chapter six. And he lays out this reality of saying, okay, you come looking for a miracle. But basically what he's saying is a miracle sits right here in front of you. See, your, your ancient fathers and, and mothers, they ate manna, Right? And the manna had to be renewed every single day, but I'm the bread of life. And I've come to satisfy everything you've ever searched for and everything you long for and continually have this need for can actually be met in me. If you do the work of the Father, they say, well, what's the work of the Father? Well, the work of the Father is to believe in the one he sent, as Jesus says. I'm the bread of life. And then he says this phrase that I'm sure caught people kind of weird then. It probably catches you weird now. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And we hear that and go, what? And that's exactly what people did then. They're like, no, no. We, we like the, the feeding Jesus. We like that. Where did where'd he go? Can he come back? Did you leave him on the boat? We like the miracle Jesus. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, what, what does that even mean? Jesus spoke in metaphors a lot. What he's saying is, look, you've got you've to ingest who I am. You've got to put your faith in me, not just what you see and not these miracles. I'm the bread of life. You need me. You don't need more miracles. You don't need all these other things. And, and suddenly, there's this trickle of people moving away from Jesus. So on hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And it goes on at verse, in chapter uh, 6, verse uh, 66, says this, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The crowds began to dissipate. And there was no longer the clamoring, the commotion, 
Jesus looked at the 12 and said, are you gonna leave too? And Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe that you are the son of God. Where else are we gonna go? But even they struggled. As Jesus began to teach and began to proclaim who he really was, Jesus watched as crowds left and as those who were close followers began to leave. And see, that happened on the shore of a lake. Now fast forward into the shadow of the cross. Where are the crowds? Where's the crowds that cheered Jesus on? They're not there. We got a lot of people in the shadow of the cross who are mocking Jesus, who are hurling insults. You ever been insulted? You ever had people criticize you and condemn you with their speech? Because that's what Jesus is experiencing in that moment. Where are the 12 that said, where else would we go? Because there's only one left in the shadow of the cross. John is the only one. Everything else, everyone else has left. They're not even in the shadow. Can you imagine what that would be like? I bet for some of you, you'd understand. In Matthew 27, we begin to see this reality of what's taking place. And Jesus hangs on this cross and the statement we wanna look at tonight. Begin to understand all these insults that are coming his way. Even those that are hung next to him are kind of throwing insults his way. People are saying, well, you believed in God. You spoke about you being the son of God. Take yourself off the cross. People are wanting to see another miracle. And then in verse 45, here's what we read. From noon until three, don't miss that. From noon until three in the afternoon, the darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Ela, Ela, Lima, Sabachthani. The only phrase we have in Aramaic that Jesus would say, that he would understand this, this, this term that he would say. And what it means is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is a troubling statement. It's not an easy one that you can get your mind around. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Scholars have argued for years. What does Jesus mean by this? Where is he going? For some scholars, they look at this and go, this is the breaking point for Jesus, who's endured a fake trial, false accusations, been whipped and beat and flogged and mocked and insulted and carried his cross. He's hanging there, suffocating in his own death. And in this moment, he breaks, some scholars say. It's a troubling statement. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Talk about the ache of abandonment. From noon to three, darkness comes over the land. I don't know about you, but it's usually pretty bright at noon, right? Something's going on here that's abnormal. That, that's not 
the way things unfold in a natural day that we see from time to time. This first cry, the uh, New Testament, kind of the, the Greek word for here that he cried out was that Jesus screamed. Jesus shouted. It's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. Jesus screamed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we can look at that moment and go, is Jesus losing it? Is the abandonment too much? In this loud voice that's crying out and it's troubled people. See, if you're writing a story about a hero, you don't include this part in your story. That's why scholars believe this really did happen. And it plays out exactly how the, the New Testament has said. This is something you would exclude, but it proves the reality of what Jesus is understanding. See, what we understand, this is the deepest revelation of the passion of the Christ. And what we understand by the word passion in our day is about romance and love. But passion in Latin literally means suffering. This is the deepest suffering Jesus is undergoing. We understand it from a sense of passion or we use it to hawk perfume, right? By passion. And the newest celebrity hawks it. The passion leans toward love, but it originally meant suffering. The passion of Jesus is that he underwent infinite suffering out of his infinite love for you and for me. That in this darkest moment, see, up to this moment, Jesus has been unbelievably calm. Given all the circumstances of what he's gone through, the false accusations, the fake trial, the beating, how many of you would have lasted through that? Not me. I would have had a few words to say. But Jesus has been unbelievably calm until this point. So what's happening in this particular moment that Jesus would scream and that he would say that phrase? It's not physical pain. Jesus doesn't shout, my head, my head, my hands, my feet. He doesn't say anything about his physical condition of what he's going on and what he's facing, right? He doesn't say, my friends, where have they gone? He doesn't shout about the, the hurling insults that are coming his way. My God, my God, why? If you have a pen, I want you to circle my God and why. Because here's the truth. Every single one of us will go through dark times where the only question we have is why. And there is no answer in those moments, true? It may not come right then. In fact, it may take weeks, months, or for some of you, you've seen it to be true that it takes years to discover maybe a glimpse of the why when you're going through those deep trials and those deep moments of suffering. But Jesus is showing us something. When you have those deep whys of life, who you turn to matters. And he turns to his father and he asks this aching question. Why? Because from noon until three, I believe, scholars would agree, Jesus is enduring all the sin of all the earth of all time. Your sin, my sin. He's paying the price 
so that he can get to the last statement he makes, which we'll look at next week. But in this moment, he's enduring incredible suffering. It's not physical suffering. It's not emotional suffering. It is that. Anyone who's going through this circumstance would have that. But this is deep spiritual suffering. When the Bible writers discuss and describe kind of this internal lostness, when it talks about hell, it's not always the description of fire. That is true in the Bible. You'll read that. But more often than not, what you'll read is the metaphor of outer darkness, meaning separated from God himself. Because you see, God is the presence of God is something that our hearts and our souls need like a flower needs the sun. You realize that if our sun were to go out right now, we'd all be instantly dead. We couldn't survive without the sun. We couldn't survive without the sun. Maybe a different spelling of sun. Keep that in mind. Jesus tasted real abandonment that day so that we could know we would never have to face ultimate abandonment and that we can walk securely in faith with him. He's surrounded by religious leaders of the day, Pharisees and the Roman soldiers and onlookers, and they're hurling their insult, and he is alone. The crowds that once gathered are no more. The 12 disciples who walked this earth with him, who were his closest, deepest friend, only one is left in the shadow of the cross, abandoned by his closest friends in his darkest hour. The charge of the mockers hangs in the air. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Scholar Robert Coleman writes this, he put it so well, of course he could not save himself. He had not come to save himself. He'd come to save the world. Jesus said earlier, I've come to seek and save the lost, and he wasn't one of the lost. He came to seek and save you, me. Jesus, God's son, was forsaken by God the Father. The darkness from noon to three signaled that God's own court was in session. Dark drapes were pulled around the proceedings. It was both too holy and too horrible for us to see in its totality. The darkness was always a familiar sign of God's judgment when you look through the Old Testament. The book of Amos, the minor prophet, writes this, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, written hundreds of years before this happened, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feast into mourning and all your singing into weeping. New Testament scholar William uh, Hendrickson wrote this, The darkness means judgment. The judgment of God upon our sins. His wrath was burning itself into the very heart of Jesus. So that as our substitute, he suffered the most intense agony, terrible isolation and forsakenness. Hell came to Calvary that day. And the Savior descended into it and bore its horrors in our place so that we would never have to go. C.S. Lewis writes this, To God, God's last words are, Why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father forsook God the Son because the judge would not look upon the sin bearer. Jesus in those moments was no longer spotless. He was thoroughly stained with our sin. He was no longer faultless. He was guilty through and through with my sin. God could not help him. God could not even face him. And Jesus descended into that agony, that ache, into hell for you and for me. And we don't talk about that a lot, but the reality to get your minds around the truth of what Jesus is enduring 
and what he chose to endure. See, it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love for you, his love for me, that said, I will stay here even when I feel like everything's not the way it should be. See, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here's the clue. Jesus is quoting scripture. He's screaming out scripture. While Jesus hangs on the cross, he's hanging on to the word of himself, of God. And we can too. When we face the deepest, darkest moments of our life, we can hold on to the word of God that it can actually penetrate and be a part of, of hope to hold us to. Psalm 22, if you want, go in your Bibles there or follow along on the, <clears throat> on the app in the, the sermon notes. Psalm 22, the very first words are, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Psalm 22 starts in deep darkness. David writes this psalm hundreds of years before this moment. And scholars have said that Psalm 22 is all about an execution. Well, David was never executed. So it's not David's execution. David, being led by the Holy Spirit, is writing about a future moment in history, this moment, that Jesus comes to, and he's hanging on the cross, and he screams out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In fact, you can begin to read the whole rest, because you know what Jesus knew. He knew the Old Testament. A, he authored it, but he knew it. And so not only did he know that sentence, but he knew the next sentence. And every sentence in that psalm, because it starts with incredible darkness, but it ends with incredible light. It's amazing. Read through it this week. Psalm 22 talks about this idea of, of God saying, um, of Jesus quoting out and saying, the, the Lord, rescue me. Come deliver me. I'm poured out like water. My bones are all out of joint. That happens in crucifixion. My heart is melting like wax within me. That's a reality of what he's experiencing that David wrote hundreds of years before. It begins with this darkness. And in this moment when Jesus cries out, he's crying out, I am suffering in infinitely. He can't even describe the amount of suffering he's going through because he's not just suffering physically or emotionally, but spiritually on your behalf and on my behalf. He's enduring this because he loves you. And after all these things, he's saying, God, though you're condemning me, I'm sticking with a plan. Though you're striking me, I'm holding on to your word. Though you're casting me out, I am holding on that you are active in doing something here. And I will not quit on this plan. And Psalm 22 goes on. See, the truth is our faith is not determined by how we feel. Our faith is to be determined by what God says. That's why our Savior can hang on a cross and hang on the word of God. Not his feelings. And when we go through those deep times, our feelings shout. But they don't always shout the truth. The truth is God's word. The truth about what God says, who you are, and what he can do in and through you. 
See, suddenly the results of this execution that David writes about, you fast forward, here's what it says. Verse 24, it says, Praise the Lord, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. Verse 27 says this, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of all the nations will bow down before him. Verse 30 and 31, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told. They will proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn. For it is finished. Man, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The agony and the ache of abandonment. But I'm not quitting because future generations will be told. And this is undeniable. No one's execution in all of history, thousands of years later, has pointed anyone to anything but Jesus. We write and talk and tell about his execution. Because to a generation yet unborn, it's a story that calls them home to their creator. Isn't that the beautiful thing? That in the midst of this deep darkness, friends, Jesus is saying, I'm hanging on to the truth of scripture, not what I'm feeling, but what the reality is yet to be. The generation yet unborn, that's you, that's me. That's the reason we're gathered here. It's because our generation, us, we got told about this execution that was written about thousands of years ago before it ever happened. And when it happened, it's the only execution people still talk about because it still points people to hope. It still points people to Jesus. Jesus was hanging on to scripture not only leaning on its, its inerrancy and the intimacy of scripture, but the sufficiency of what it can mean in your life and what it meant in his. That's why the Bible matters. That's why it's not just reading to get through the Bible, it's getting the Bible through you. That's why the scriptures speak a new story over you of who you are and who you are in Jesus and what your future can be. That's why you can forgive. Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it transforms the future. Why? Because it's God's power active within you. You are the one yet unborn and heard about new life in this one, this Jesus. Psalm 22, isn't it fascinating that Psalm 22 comes right before Psalm 23? that we started this year off with. The very first verse of Psalm 23 is what? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I wonder if Jesus knew that. Duh. That even in this dark moment, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay. I'm gonna stick with the plan because the generation yet unborn will hear of your work, that you're active behind the scenes in the deepest, darkest moments of our life, you're still active and your plans never get stopped. They never get thwarted. They never get a rain delay. They just keep happening. 
And that's the beauty of this story, the beauty of what Jesus cried out. That's why we have hope that we don't have to face complete abandonment, ever. We'll face physical suffering, emotional suffering. We'll face moments of abandonment, but never ultimate abandonment as a follower of Jesus, because he said, I'm with you to the ends of the ages. Wherever you go, I'm there. And you can take it to the bank, even when you don't feel like it. Because feelings don't always tell the truth, do they? Scripture teaches us the truth. See, the conclusion of this is darkness is not our forever climate. We get a forever climate of hope because of Jesus. That no matter what, as we trust in him, we have a secured future. And the best is yet to come, even when there's a bunch of speed bumps and a bunch of yuck right now. It's not the end of the story. Jesus secured the end of the story. The invitation is that as you go down in dark moments that you could trust God is already there. You don't go down to them alone. You can trust as you engage with him, as you grab hold of him, as you wrestle with him, that you will come out the other side believing he is bigger than you've ever known him to be. And for some of you, you've walked through those deep, dark times and God's gotten bigger on the other side. And you could speak to that that his truth is there and holds you. The other invitation here for us is an invitation to reflect and to repent, to understand that we're the ones that sent Jesus to that cross. It was our cross. Our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, our decisions to go our own way, our decisions to say, God, I know you said this is the way it should go, but I'm gonna make it my own decision to do this. That's the reason Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and on mine. The suffering he endured. It's because I made it. I made that happen. And as good as I want to be here, I'm broken. And I'm sinful. And I don't always choose God's best. And I'm not alone. That's your story. That's my story. But the greatest part of that story is that we have a Savior who said, I know. Yeah, you messed up. But I love you too much to quit on you. And in fact, I'm going to step in for you. You go over here. You sit down. You be at rest. And I'll take your place. That's what we remember as we move toward Good Friday. That's why it can be a Good Friday. It wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. Jesus certainly could have come down at any moment. He has all power and all authority. He chose to stick with the plan. It was his love for you. So Psalm 22 and then a prayer. My God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Deep darkness is where it begins. But where it ends is future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So, Father, as we move toward a time of communion, as we move toward a time of reflection, just want to create some space for each of us to own this. See, we understand abandonment a little bit, God, but we don't understand it on this whole nother level that Jesus, you had to endure for us. We're humbled, we're shocked, we're stunned, we're speechless. The biggest whys of life you're showing us, we can bring to the ultimate who, it's you. That's where we can bring the whys we struggle with. It's not somewhere or to someone else, it's to you. You're big enough to hold them, to handle them, to help us through them. And so as we take communion tonight, I just wanna invite you. Maybe take a moment right in your seat. We'll give you a little extra time to move. But maybe this is a moment to reflect, to ask forgiveness, to seek God's best again, to even recommit your life, to say, hey, I want the trajectory to be fallen after Jesus. I've veered off and taken away too many detours. Maybe it's recognizing that our own brokenness is what sent Jesus to the cross, but the fact that he willingly went in our place as a substitute, an atonement for our forgiveness, that we can made, be made right with him through faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here, you've never come to a place where you put your faith in anyone else but yourself. How's that working for you? Maybe these next few minutes, it's you and God doing some business and you saying, God, I'm tired of trying to live in my own efforts. I'll admit I'm a broken mess and I may appear like I have it all together, but I need you. So take some space, contemplate, reflect, a moment of repentance, a moment of seeking his forgiveness, a moment of gratitude. God went there for you. How cool is that? That the savior of the world is the savior of you, of your life, because he wanted to, not because he had to. He loves you. He even likes you. And he wants the best for you. So maybe it's a moment of gratitude. Father, we lift these moments to you as we celebrate in song in a few minutes. May our praise pour out that you bring the best 
out of great brokenness. And we love you, Jesus. Thank you for proving your love for us.